When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, that was, I don't want to say pretty bad because it was a pretty good uh, performance from the Raptors to be quite honest with you. And we're going to obviously nitpick some of the things that did happen, but uh, it wasn't pretty good because they won. It was like pretty eh. Uh, just to, for the people who are listening, the audio quality lower on this one. I ordered a new mic. We're waiting on it. Uh, the old mic is really good for times but the cable is just completely done on it so for this one and only game we're doing the was ipod maybe the ipod nano type headphones the string headphones um mic jack headphones uh for the audio so my apologies to anybody this is a lot different than the like five years of podcasting you've come to understand and know me for 108 to 105 the raptors lose to the boston celtics in the inaugural in-season tournament game uh, a pretty good performance and one that was undercut a little bit by uh, probably one of Darko's toughest performances as a coach. It wasn't, it wasn't a strong suit for him in this game. Um, most notably, you know, there's a lot of coaches that have echoed the sentiment of don't foul your player out before he gets fouled out. Pascal got jobbed. Man, on two fouls uh, on Kristaps Porzingis, he had three fouls really early, and he played eight minutes of the first quarter. They had to sub him out. Um, I, I do think that the one was like a big-time flop by Porzingis. The other one, Siakam, just kind of dead-fished, uh, but I didn't think either were fouls, unfortunately. Darko kept him out the rest of the first half, and as it turned out, the Raptors really struggled. And you can understand why if you watch this game, and maybe you'll understand a little bit better if you didn't and you're listening to this now. But Pascal was a plus 17. He carried the lineups that he was in. Uh, he was the Raptors' number one initiator in this game. He was extremely efficient. It's not only what he did as a scorer, it's what he did not only as getting, you know, gifting assists and layups and stuff like that, but the way he was able to scramble the Celtics defense draw guys in into doubles and all that kind of stuff that uh that was huge for the Raptors offense and their success in the half court was as it has been for a few games this season completely tethered to what he's doing and not having him for the 16 minute stretch from when he subbed out the end of the first half was difficult and the Raptors struggled to score and they also didn't have the best defensive stretch and you know, Pascal is less responsible for really great defensive stretches than he is for the offense, but that was a big thing. And then secondly, I believe Scotty Barnes in the fourth quarter, he leaves, you know, Darko's trying to get him like 30, maybe 30 seconds, a minute of rest before he heads out for the rest of the game. And 
talking to Darko after the game about both these situations, I'll give you some of the quotes in a little bit. But Scotty gets up to get back into the fourth quarter with, I think, four minutes and 30 seconds left. And he stands there until like 30 seconds left in the game. The game went away from what Darko wanted to do, I'm assuming. He thought he would be able to get him in. Um, mixed into that, there's obviously on-court stuff. The Raptors are getting some stops. The Raptors at that point are still going to Siakam in the post, still getting a lot of like, uh, like a lot of points out of it, getting good looks out of it. And as it just so happens, Darko doesn't go to the extreme of calling a timeout or using a take foul. He could have done either. Um, a take foul is maybe more sensible, especially with if he had like Jakob on the court who had zero fouls, maybe that would have made sense. But also if you're gunning towards the end of the game, you know, there was only 11 fouls called this whole game against the Raptors. A take foul might've been smart, but he also mentioned that he kind of liked the flow of the game and where it was going and probably thought that Barnes would naturally have a check-in point, maybe, maybe around like three thirty, three minutes or something like that at worst. And it ended up being the final 30 seconds of the game. That's really tough. Um, Barnes, this wasn't his best game, but Barnes is a positive player. He's been the best Raptor so far this year and not having him for four minutes out of the last four minutes and 30 seconds of the game. It's tough. Who cares that he missed the last shot? Um, who cares that it wasn't his best game? He needs to be out there. And I can understand why Darko felt like, mm, you know, we'll let it happen naturally. I get it, but it didn't. And you have to be able to take control sometimes as a coach. And he wasn't able to in this game. And that is seen both with Scotty sitting for four minutes towards the end of the fourth quarter. He tried to do something. Scotty was standing up. He was waiting to check in. And then, you know, coaches talk about don't foul your guy out. Let him play to his six fouls. And Pascal finished with five. He had, like all of them were soft. The one was a take foul at the end of the game. He happened to be closest to can't remember if it was Brown or Tatum who got fouled with the ball to put them on the line. Um, or it was Drew, actually. <laughs> and as far as, like, what – sitting Siakam for 16 straight minutes, that's really, really tough. Uh, that's – I wouldn't have done that. I was surprised. I, I, was, I wasn't surprised when it was, like, the seven-minute mark of the second quarter and we didn't see Pascal. I was kind of really paying attention to it when we hit the the four-minute mark of the second quarter and we didn't see Pascal. And then once there was like two minutes left, I was like, I reckon he's sitting the whole damn thing. And he did. And the Raptors got, you know, bullied in those minutes. And they made their run, you know, not directly from Pascal stepping on the court, but as soon as the second half started, they hit some threes. Credit to Scotty really driving the pace early in the in the second half, getting some looks. Dennis hits a couple. Scotty hits one. And Pascal kind of gets into his zone, starts working. And those are the two big things out of this game. Uh, as far as the the schematics, let's say, I talked to Joe Mazzulla before the game, and I kind of wanted to ask about the deepest drop I maybe have ever seen that Porzingis was playing last game. And he said, yeah, that's normal for us. We play a deep drop. And I was like, yeah, but Joe, this was really deep. And he was like, no, this is normal. We play a deep drop. And it isn't normal, but he doesn't owe me an answer, right? Obviously. Um, they didn't play as deep in this game. And as far as what the Raptors were able to do without Porzingis that deep all the time, 
a little bit more room to work in the pick and roll. Dennis certainly was able to find more stuff in this game. And and Jakob found a little bit more space for himself. Porzingis stepping up a little more. You're able to create that wide angle for a roller. And then Pascal really going to the post to initiate through those mismatches. He's beating guys who constantly... I asked him about this post game. Like Drew Holiday is a guy who gets a ton of love as somebody who can guard up. Um, Derek White gets a lot of love as somebody who can guard up. And neither of those guys had anything for Pascal Siakam. So they can guard up against some guys but they can't guard Pascal. And that's a credit to Pascal. Um, Pascal just said, you know, I'm trying to use my size and I'm trying to, you know, really beat Drew with my size because I can't outquick him. And Drew is a fire hydrant. The fact that Pascal was able to move Drew is really impressive. And the fact that Pascal, you can't let Drew get stable. You can't let him sit on one spot and win the battle of the lower man. You got to keep, shifting and make sure that he has to keep moving his forearm to different points on your body. He can't load up on one spot. Pascal's really shifty for his size. Um, Drew overloaded on Pascal's left shoulder while on his left leg multiple times. Pascal hit him with the spin multiple times. Um, Derek White, similar thing. Um, maybe not as easy as Drew because Drew really did overload and Pascal, he, he found the spot that he needed to. Um, Pascal also banged Jason Tatum down low on the block, got to a spot, hit a jumper late, um, rimmed out on the jumper on Jalen Brown late too. Um, but that was basically the only shot he missed. And the Raptors for most of the third quarter and a lot of the, the fourth quarter, they just went to Pascal in the post, f- found money. I've had a lot of comments and like a lot of people saying, um, Pascal can't do it against a good team or a good defense. Pascal can do it against a lot of different players. Uh, he hasn't had his best start to the season, but this is probably a good reminder that Pascal can do it um, against good teams. Not that you probably shouldn't, nobody should probably be saying that anyway, but this is a strong reminder. The Celtics are one of the best teams in the league. They play really good defense. And Pascal was the complete hub of the Raptors in what now is Another tie for their best half-court performance, 100 points per 100 possessions. They've had three games doing so. Um, one was the first Bucks game where they just completely routed them, and Dennis and um, and Dennis and Jakob had really, really good, um, as far as I understood it, pick-and-roll attempts, um, got downhill a lot, ball got to the roller a lot, and, and Pascal in this game, you know, there's a bit of pick and roll stuff from, from Dennis and especially late once they started putting Tatum and Brown on Pascal, they weren't able for na- able to be there for nail help. So they went to more pick and roll. Some of that worked, some of that didn't. Um, it was nice in this game too, that Dennis was fantastic uh, in, in a lot of ways, but really working off of Pascal's post-ups and making sure that he got a lot of those touches in the third quarter. And that like, if Pascal wanted to initiate a drive to post. Um, he got him the ball early and let him work there. And then also the big thing is like when Boston doubles from the top, Pascal is shifting the defense. He's creating that rotation. That's what you want to start out an offensive possession with. And Dennis hit a few threes. That's a really big deal. That makes the Celtics more hesitant to help from the top going forward. And it also means that they're more likely to help from the bottom. That's how we get some of those Jakob layups, right? That's how we get that that Scotty layup towards the end of the game is because Pascal, he's going to pull somebody from somewhere 
And Pascal especially, it helps if he can pull from the bottom because the Raptors don't have a ton of shooting. So if they do pull from the bottom, you can get a guy who's a really great finisher like Scotty or like Yaka Balayap. And so the post offense worked really well in this game. It just wasn't enough. And they only got 29 minutes of Pascal. And he was a plus 17, went really well when he's on the floor. And not having Scotty late, tough. Not having Pascal through any of the second quarter, very tough. Um, yeah, we have a, a comment, Farhan. To luck there. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, but Farhan says it's just super good rim protection that he struggles with. Any driver struggles with super good rim protection. Um, but this kind of thing, right, is like these moving goalposts of like, if Siakam has a good game, it wasn't against this team. If Siakam has a good game, it wasn't against this guy. If Siakam has a good game against a good team with a good defense, it wasn't X or Y. Like, it's always just something he's not doing. When he's winning minutes, he improves the half-court offense immensely. Uh, he's been, like, I know people pick and, pick and prod, but he's been good on defense. Um, the goalposts are always moving for him, which is unfortunate. Um, I hope, like, a game tonight is a tremendous game. And he didn't have his best game last game. And teams have been able to um, limit his impact in some games by doubling out of the post. And the Raptors have to be able to make shots out of that. And he makes the right read. Um, Darko said as much tonight. He He's playing pretty good basketball right now. And uh, I don't want every game to be like he's on trial with the fan base. Um, it's just another really good game. It sucks. It sucks that he played less than 30 minutes. Um and, like, maybe you could have quibbles about, you know, don't put yourself in foul trouble. But on a couple of those, you're like, damn, I can't even imagine how you would have avoided the foul. It's just um, being a guy in a spot and you get a foul called on you. It's tough. Uh, Scotty, man, uh, in the fourth quarter, that pick and roll that they ran between Dennis and Scotty when he came down, I think he collected the ball just a little bit above the free throw line, skied both hands right to the rim. I love them being able to go to that in a pinch. This wasn't a game where Scotty had a lot of success in isolation or in the post is more so in motion where he was finding his success. That's the cool thing about Scotty too, is that Scotty is only in his third year. He's been playing all-star level basketball. Certainly he's been the best player on the Raptors to this point. And while he hasn't completely developed his go-to thing, we don't know what Scotty's best play is yet, right? We know he's a demon in transition. We know he's been extremely effective at creating turnovers and changing shots on defense. We know that he's been such a wonderful player, but we don't know what that play is for him yet because he doesn't even know yet. And so when you have those little blips in like a fourth quarter where he comes into the lane and there's a lot of players who, if they gathered the ball where he gathered the ball, they got to put down another dribble that risks a dig. They might not be able to sky all the way to the rim, but he can. It's uh, it's it's really impressive. Uh, this wasn't Scotty's best game, but even in the games where you know it's it's so so for him, you can always find those little nuggets of of encouragement. Um, and I wrote a piece if anyone wants to go read it at uh, RaptorsRepublic.com, which is you know Scotty has been the Raptors best pick and roll player. Um, there's a ton of examples. I break down a lot of the sets that the Raptors are running and what Scotty is doing right in those. Um, not as many opportunities in this game because 
they were switching a lot of stuff. And that was different than the first game where we saw a ton of Porzingis dropping. I think there were two shots, two mid-range jumpers that Siakam hit in the first Celtics game. Um, one was they switched Horford onto Scotty, and then Scotty kind of dribbled into a mid-range jumper. And then another one was, man, they were playing deep, deep drop with Porzingis. And Scotty went into like a, a step back mid-range jumper, hit both. Really, really nice. Um, I talked about a lot of Scotty and Pascal so far. Jakob, credit to him. I think he's had a handful of really tough defensive games. And on-offs aren't everything. Winning your minutes isn't everything. You need to be able to look for other things. But the fact that coming into this game, the defense was better statistically with uh, Jakob off the floor probably is a little bit surprising and disappointing. The defense alone last season was 10 points better with Jakob on the floor. And so, you know, I've seen people say like, well, he was playing for a contract, context X, context Y. I think that Dennis is a better defender than Fred. I think that the Raptors as a whole have been a pretty good defense. And I think that they could be even better if Jakob was playing to his best. I don't think he's like, now playing lesser because of contract security. Um, I don't think the context is more harmful for him. I think he's just had some bad games um, as far as like being the guy who's supposed to anchor the defense at the back end. This game, I thought he was much stronger. Um, the Raptors still obviously have to navigate his lack of uh, shooting, but they started off this game running those elbow actions. You can actually, I wrote about the exact play that the Raptors run last season um if you type in hacking the half court samson folk it'll, my piece will probably come up if you want to know exactly what the raptors were running and they got a couple buckets off of that high low stuff from Jakob. that was really nice they also used um a princeton set uh princeton horns chin play to drag um to get it so that siakam could draw a tag off of a switch and they could open up scotty for that that three that he hit on the right wing um darko and co are probably seeing this stuff a lot of the time and keeping note of that. Like, okay, this is how we're getting defensive responses to this play a lot. And this is kind of what we can do based off of that. And different teams will do different things. But once we're what, like 20, 25 games into the season, they'll probably have a pretty good idea of the composite average of how teams respond to things. And then they can start uh, maybe digging into the, uh, I guess the, uh, the playbook a little bit more or kind of really hammering home the stuff that has been working. Uh, Gary, defensively, uh, we can talk about that last play. I talked to Darko about it. I talked to Precious about it. I talked to Pascal about it. Gary didn't come talk to us. Um, so Drew is driving, and it's not directly baseline, but it's close. And Dennis is sticking him, right? And so we have Tatum above the break right in the center of the court. That's Precious, his guy. We have Gary, who's on Derek White, who's right in the corner. And we have Pascal on Jalen Brown, who's above the break on the other side. And as far as, as far as what the Raptors are doing, Gary makes a beeline running the baseline to go double Drew. Now, why? That's obviously what the Raptors wanted to do. I really doubt that that's a call Gary is like, that's probably not a read Gary's making um, probably like a base go. Hey, this is what we're doing. 
I don't know why they would do that. I don't think Drew is going to bully. Um, I don't think Drew is going to bully Dennis that hard. And as far as I would help from the top instead of the bottom. And when they help from the bottom, it puts Siakam in a position where he now has to zone up Jalen Brown, right? Above the break. And he has to zone up Derek White. He has to split the difference. He starts splitting the difference. Gary tries to double from the baseline. Drew sees that, turns away and goes middle. Gary gets stuck in no man's land. And now he's guarding nobody. And Jalen Brown correctly makes a really great cut. He, he knows like, well, Siakam's covering two guys right now. I need to make this a really easy read for Drew. He collapses the weak side zone, makes a basket cut. Siakam has to cover that. Otherwise, it's a drop off for a layup. And then Siakam's also the guy who ends up closing out to Derek White in the corner after Drew makes the pass. This is guys being put in a position where they're not going to succeed. That's why I asked the guys after the game, like, you know, if it's the chess pieces, where are you trying to put them? And nobody gave like a really straight answer. And I suspect it's because they don't want to harp too much on one guy or whatever. Um, if, if Gary, if that was a read that he was making in that case, then it's unacceptable, terrible read as a defender. If it's, if it's, if, if they're saying like, Hey, we're going to double baseline on drew holiday. That's really, really tough. I don't know why they would do that, but if that's the case, then you probably want precious to drop down and Siakam to now just have Derek White in the corner. And you want it to be that Precious is playing to just Jalen Brown. Now, Tatum is wide open above the break. I'm like, what What was the winning situation here? Because you have to look at the play and say, what is the worst outcome here? Or what's what do we want to force the defense to do? And if they don't double then I think it's like they can pinch in off of the other places, one pass away. They can keep the ball in control, and it can be what Drew Holiday trying to hit, like a little, I don't know, 9-foot, 10-foot fader over a defender. That's like a tough shot, and the Raptors will be in good position to grab and go afterwards. That seems comfortable. That seems like a good position. But when they double and you immediately put Siakam in a one-on-two situation and Brown, you have to expect NBA players, like they know they have reads, they have automatics, like, Hey, when this happens, this is what you do. This is instilled in them. You know, there's some intuitive cutting stuff. That's like, you see the numbers on the back of the Jersey go, you see a guy turn your head, go. There's like little things like that, but there's timed cuts. There's scripted cuts. If they zone up the weak side, collapse it. And Jalen Brown collapsed it. So I don't understand it really. Nobody gave me a satisfying answer afterwards, which I mean, that's kind of tough, but that's, uh, that's, that's how it shakes out. Obviously Um, that's the last play. That's the last I'll harp on it. Gary, the shot making in this game, really happy with what he was able to provide. I think he had a bad defensive game, but that's okay. They really need his shooting. Um, The Raptors having three threes in the starting lineup when Pascal's attempting one, um, when Pirtle's attempting zero, and Scotty's being asked to lift a lot of that load as far as like 
the volume of threes, which Scotty maybe necessarily shouldn't have to do. Uh, you know, like Scotty should be doing things elsewhere. There's a unique thing that's happening too, where Scotty shoots a bunch of threes when Pascal's off the floor and shoots less threes when Pascal is, which speaks to a, a type of symbiosis that is different than a lot of fans think it is. Um, just as like a point. And then Dennis, you know, he went five for 11 tonight. The backcourt play, maybe they bit off more than they should have been chewing, I think. Um, I know a lot of people look at these games and say, less Dennis. And and that may, that does make sense. Um, you would want maybe more Pascal, maybe more Scotty. And in some cases, maybe some people want a little bit more OG. But Dennis has a lot of the ball, like a lot, a lot. And tonight, I thought he made a lot of good decisions with the ball. I thought that he had a really good sense of what to attack, when to attack, all that kind of stuff. But uh, he still probably has a little bit too much in the offense. But a good game from Dennis, too. I guess Precious, once again, is kind of thrown into a game. Hey, we need to be able to switch stuff. You, You need to help us kind of like batten down the hatches defensively in a way that Jakob Pearl doesn't really allow us to do that. And as far as what, like that's happened in a few games and Precious's numbers on the year aren't that great. And, but there's been a few games where Precious closes out or Precious is getting like heavy minutes down the stretch because they need to switch and they need to be able to nullify a lot of these actions. And I thought he did a really great job. I thought he was really good. Um, he, he also played with Jakob in this game, which was new and interesting. And I thought like, Hell yeah, it's interesting if they can make that work. Um, they also played like a decent amount in, in that first half. We saw Dennis and Malachi playing together too, partially because Pascal's not in there. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, it's something that I guess everyone will pay attention to. Ma- Malachi, 19 minutes. He was a minus 15. He did have five assists. He did have five points. That three he made down the stretch, or maybe not down the stretch, a little bit before the final stretch, I should say, where Pascal sees what's happening above the break, feels a little pressure on that dig, gets the ball to Malachi. That was a really big three. This wasn't like a superstar Malachi game, but I think, and this is kind of where people, you know, some people think, well, Malachi's just playing like, okay, backup point guard minutes, or Malachi is just like being like a regular backup point guard. That is meaningful. He's not one of the better backup point guards in the league, but the Raptors, evidenced by how much time Schroeder spends on ball, right? Darko likes an offense to feature a like a ball handler. And I don't think Darko considers right now Scotty or Pascal these significant ball handlers above the break. Um, he wants to run through these actions with a little bit more pace. And I think Malachi and Dennis create less advantages on average than both Pascal and Scotty. I just think they do. I think most people would agree with that. But they do run through actions with more pace. You are able to get through stuff quicker. Maybe Darko likes that for the progression of the offense, the progression of reads, keeping the defense moving, making them uh, play honest in, in more spots. That's the rationale, right? So Malachi Flynn is going to keep getting minutes. And Gary Trent Jr., he doesn't move through the offense. Like, he's a more talented player than Malachi. He's better than Malachi. But he doesn't move through the offense as quickly as Malachi does. This is the kind of stuff that is definitely keeping Malachi on the floor. Hopefully the shot making and some of that creation 
continues to be there. Um, we, we're all looking for more from Malachi. The, the blown finger roll really hurt, obviously. Um, but he's, he's giving more and more, more and more. Um, he's obviously not going to create like massive change with the Raptors. But Darko obviously likes this archetype of player. And in a game like tonight, he has an okay game. Unfortunately, he he and Scotty were in a lot of tough lineups. And when you're in tough lineups and there's not a lot of creation and you're playing a really good Celtics team, things can topple really quickly. We're still seeing Scotty put out there with um like full on bench units without like without much shooting, without much creation, and he's being asked to carry that and we're seeing like mixed results, well, mostly bad results. And I don't think that's on Scotty. That's just the the bench hasn't been as good as people wanted it to be. Um, Jalen McDaniels had a couple nice cuts for baskets, like well-timed supporting drives. Um, especially like if you're coming from the same side, knowing when to cut is really, really intuitive. And I thought he had two really nice ones. Grady played 10 minutes. I think it was his worst stretch. Um he didn't do a lot of the things that we can count on him to do, like those the little things, Kings stuff. Uh, he didn't provide a lot of that. He's still missing those threes, and uh, yeah, mistakes. Uh, put the like wants to advance the play, puts the dribble down because he's not comfortable shooting it, and gets himself into trouble. Like he he is much better when he's thinking shot first, and. M- playmaking reactively after that it's been tough to start the shot making but a lot of the other stuff was in a really strong spot in a game like tonight this was great he had a really tough overall game defensively offensively playmaking shooting nothing really went the right way for him he looked overwhelmed and you know the Celtics have a little bit more to throw at him from their fourth and fifth best defender on the floor at any given time and maybe that attributes to it, but just a disappointing uh, situation with with Grady's play tonight. But he's a young guy. This is what game twelve for the thirteenth overall pick. Um, he has plenty, plenty, plenty of runway before he loses my good faith. And I suspect it's the same for any people listening at home. Um, I was talking to Blake Murphy a lot about Grady today, and Blake was a large proponent of like. Well, we could. It would be interesting to see Grady in the G League, um, not necessarily to take away Raptors reps, but just like if they overlap, why not have Grady go down to the nine hundred five and come back up and play Raptor stuff? And and I think I agree with that that wisdom. It's uh, it it would be cool to see him. Just you're not taking anything away from his Raptors reps. He's just going to get more down at the nine hundred five. I think that's a cool way to use the farm system. And I think that's like it's important to have that that synergy between the big team and the this affiliate team, right? Um, I see somebody Van Hoot two two three four says I wanted Kaysen for the record. Trey and I did a lot of work talking about Kaysen. We both really liked Kaysen. Kaysen has been awesome for OKC. Um, he's such a unique player. He shot the ball well. He's been screening a lot as a guard in their offense since they kind of invert the principles. They love using their guards for screeners. And uh, it's just, it's he's really impressive. We have a question from Farhan. says, Twitter saying he can't get his shot off in NBA. How much truth is there to that? I got zero take on it. 
Um, if you're talking about Grady, unless you're unless you guys are just talking in chat, then my bad for butting in. Um, if you got if you're talking about Grady, Grady can get his shot off. I think Grady has done well to create shots. I think Grady has done well to play off of other players and find himself in space. He just hasn't hit shots. So Grady can definitely get his shot off. It's important to remember he is six foot nine. He he's big and he has a high release point. He can definitely get his shots off. Um, the unfortunate thing is he's just not making them. He he's a really high touted shooter coming out of the draft. Has a lot of people who say it will come, um, including the Raptors themselves. It will come. Uh, that's that's how I feel about it. Um, we have some Kulabali talk. Yeah, the Raptors they were very very interested in uh, Bilal Kulabali, and they were very interested in Kobe Bufkin. And um, I think that was actually my broken news um, way back when the the workouts were going on that Kobe Bufkin had been brought back. And he had like maybe not a great first workout, but Bufkin knew that the Raptors were in his range and he, he wanted a second workout. The Raptors granted it for him and he killed it. So hell yeah. Um, I like Kobe too. There, there's a lot of really unique players from like pick six through, I don't know, like, 18 um Keontae George is another one who's really good um yeah yeah no uh I see Van Hoot says no slight against Grady no 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 there's a like there's a lot of really great young players in the league um I I don't I don't mind uh I don't mind I mean hey Grady Grady is one of them and uh I think uh the Raptors I like the pick they made even even after this start I still really like the pick they made but hell yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of really good players who came out of the draft it was such a cool draft um, in that space. And I had a lot of fun kind of looking at um, all the different guys who were there and trying to kind of dig into the film and talk to a lot of scouts about it. Um, I've talked mostly about the game. Is there anything else we talked about? Oh, here's a good one. They were a lot more, <laughs> they were a lot more reluctant to play tight to Porzingis in this game. I felt so, after last Celtics game, I had said, maybe give Porzingis a little less respect here. Don't play him like he is this knockdown three-point shooter. I get it. He has good games, and he's a better three-point shooter than a lot of bigs, and he is a good three-point shooter. But the way that in the first matchup, the Raptors were sticking him, and the amount of gravity they rewarded him opened up so many driving lanes for both Tatum and Jalen Brown. And... In this game, they gave Porzingis more space on the perimeter. They felt more comfortable switching smalls on him inside the arc, and they put more shots in Porzingis's hands that he had to create. I love that approach. This is an approach that other playoff defenses have done with Porzingis, and this has been where some of his poorest games happen. Porzingis was still good. He's a good player, obviously, and, and he had a lot of rebounds tonight. He had some assists, of course. But as far as like the Raptors change in approach to how they wanted to guard Porzingis, I really, really loved what they did. And I hated what they did in game one. Um, a huge part of their better defensive performance was that change in how they were guarding Porzingis. So huge fan of that. Um, Sam Hauser just banging threes, obviously not good. Al Horford going three for four. That's tough. Peyton Pritchard. I mean, 
he he, he kind of got carried in this game. But the the plus minuses, if you look at them, Boston's are really close. Where it's like the Raptors are kind of all over the place. Um, oh yeah, let's talk about the like the in season tournament aspect of it, right? Um, I'm sure people are are interested in that. The court in person looks awesome. Like, really, really awesome. We have these monitors on Media Row which show the TV broadcast, and the court looked a lot worse. Like, there's a lot of glare coming off of it as far as the TV broadcast. And I was like, damn, that's that's too bad. Because in person, really sharp, really awesome court. Um, Darko said before the game that he said it does feel a little bit different. We got a really good game out of it. Like, the Raptors lost, but that was a really, really good game. Um, super, super enjoyable. And, you know, against one of the best teams in the league and a game that they could have won, definitely, right? Um, they did a lot of things right in this game. Some things didn't go their way. And the in-season tournament aspect of it, I don't know if, if the players are like, oh, this is different because it, it still counts as one of the 82, right? And, um, yeah, but I thought that the game ops, which like the in-arena operations, the music, the lights, all this kind of stuff, the little games they do, there was more pop to it in this game. It was more enjoyable than like a regular game. Part of that is because it's like a really good team they're playing and they played well against them. That obviously is a major factor. But as far as all the game ops and stuff, I think they did a really good job. Uh, I hope that the Raptors win the rest of their games in this. I hope they advance. Um, and point di- differential does matter, so only losing by three is important, as crazy as that sounds. I can't remember which team did it, but I think it was the Bucks. They kept their starters in for a longer time to kind of bump up their point differential. Um, that's a, that's kind of like a, a cosign of the tournament, right? That teams are already trying to game the system to advance further. Uh, that's cool. That's important. Um, Nesta, I, I, I saw you say that um, the slipperiness. So Precious mentioned that he thought it was more slippery he said it worried him a little bit because he was coming back from injury he's trying to play a little bit more cautious Jalen Brown said he might have been injured I believe on the court and he said it's unacceptable obviously that is uh that's (laughs) that's not great that's bad and then Pascal who in this game was operating mostly out of the post right not these big drives where he's taking like long strides um he said he didn't notice anything really and he also mentioned that different players are having different responses to it, um, like like their shoes. Like the shoe is a variable that changes that, right? So that's um, that's happy. Van Hoot, uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Nice to see you. Thanks for popping in. Um, enjoy yourself. Thanks for always watching. Appreciate you. Um, for yeah, for the people listening the morning after, there's a live chat that I'm responding to. Just just. So, you know, um, there's people watching right now. Um, yeah, so I think the in-season tournament stuff, I love it. Um, I like the Premier League a lot. I like world soccer, world football. The way that they're able to do the Champions League, the way that they're able to do like these in-season cups and stuff like that. I love that. And I, I also kind of dislike in general, like the zero sum, there's only one champion stuff. I love the pennants. I love in-season cups i love anything that you can win or do i think is worth doing and i know culturally it's a lot different in the like in north america especially like canada and america just doing like there's one winner at the end but i really i love 
that there is this kind of stuff um, where there's now a second thing to win during the season. I hope it sticks around past this season. I hope that it builds, you know, credibility with fans and with players. And I hope people like give a shit about it because I think it's interesting. And I think that this is the kind of stuff like when I see, you know, obviously Leicester City, for example, in the mid 2010s, winning the Premier League was like unbelievable. And that doesn't happen very often. Like that much of an underdog winning is just completely, you know, that's out of the question. And and Jamie Vardy and especially Mares just rose to like massive, um, rose to massive prominence afterwards because they were maybe slept on as players, right? Um, there are a lot of teams that get to compete in like the semifinals or the finals of these other lower end, like these cups and stuff like that. And these cups mean something to a wide variety of teams. And obviously, you know, like football has like eight divisions and it's all over the world. So there's like way more history and stuff like that. But, you know, the NBA is trying to build a little bit of history here. And uh, I like I think it's cool, man. I think it is cool. I hope it sticks around. Um, I thought tonight was fun. They should have handed out T-shirts or something. They didn't. And um, yeah, the players... The players, um, they 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 tried during these games, man. the The point differential in these games seems to be closer than average. Um, maybe the court being a different color is always like a constant reminder that hey, this is different. And there's also this is kind of something we talked about in the the media room is that uh, it, it would be interesting, like the way that the money, if one, affects like a small percentage of the roster. If Pascal Siakam gets an extra five hundred thousand dollars. It's $500,000, of course, but he's making, what, $38 million this year? Now you go to a guy like maybe Delano Banton, if Boston ends up winning this thing, he gets an extra five hundred k. Maybe he doesn't even play, but, like, you would feel gratitude towards, like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for bringing you there. Like, there would be camaraderie. It, like, it bridges the gap in some ways. Um, and And maybe that doesn't give the fans more incentive but certainly the players like it means something and I think also the best players on the team the guys who make the most money should also feel a little bit of onus like I'm trying to earn it for this other guy I think that that matters and I hope that motivates teams and then the outcome for the fans is like maybe with that extra motivation for a random game in November you get um you get like better performances so yeah um, also, James Welch says you have to go. See you, James. Thanks for popping in. Um, I feel like, okay, I got asked about Zach Levine. Um, I'll, I'll talk about Zach Levine a little bit. Uh, yeah, Farhan says they're going to bring the, in, uh, Delano's going to bring the in-season trophy back to Rexdale. I hope so, man. I'm in Rexdale. I'd pop out to see it. Um, say what's up to Delano. Uh, shout out to Rexdale. So, Zach Levine. Hmm. I don't think the Raptors do it. Like, the Raptors are in on everybody the last two years. They're both selling everybody and available to trade for everybody, right? That's kind of been the the reporting. Uh, and we've seen reporting from, like, Woj. We've seen reporting from Jake Fisher. We've seen reporting from Shams. And it's, like, there's a lot of talk about the Raptors. And sometimes I think their name gets thrown into stuff for leverage. And sometimes maybe reporters, you know, who knows what's true some of these times, like, and especially since 
basically, if you're reporting something, you've heard something. It's just like the reason why Woj and Shams are so effective is because they report it, but they've heard it like 18 times and they've heard it from the decision makers. Like I hear stuff from scouts, from assistant coaches, from whatever, right? There's a bunch of people around the league and there's a bunch of people, like there's just a bunch of people. You can hear stuff. I could hear anything. I could Somebody from the Raptors organization today could say, I want Zach Levine. And that would be nothing because they don't make those decisions. You got to hear it from like Masai. And I don't know where anybody's been hearing stuff from, but as far as like Zach Levine, I think that Siakam's a better player than Zach Levine. I think that Zach is probably a marginally better fit than Siakam on this roster offensively. But also, like, Zach Levine is not much of a... He's really good offensively working off of other creation. He's really good at, like, attacking closeouts, punching gaps. The spot-up threes are good, of course. But as far as, like, his creation, a lot of it is getting into, like, a step-back jumper. A lot of it is fueling just his own shot-making. And not a lot of it includes breaking down the defense and creating a bunch of looks for other guys to work off of. And I think... Levine would struggle with the lack of spacing too. Obviously, it does open up things for others when he's off the ball. But then again, you're playing Zach Levine off the ball and you run into a lot of the same things where the Bulls are in where DeMar is working on ball and he benefits from Zach off ball. But what do you do as far as like maximizing Zach once he's there? And Zach also has like a ton of health concerns. Siakam is like an unbelievable Iron Man. He plays a lot of minutes. He plays a lot. And Zach is maybe less reliable. <laughs> I like Zach a lot. I think it's at best a lateral move. So I wouldn't do it. Um, I'm sure the Raptors in these talks are saying like a package around, and this is not me. This is not reporting. This is speculation. Um, this is probably a package around like Gary, etc. You know, you guys want to move on. You want to do something different. Gary's younger. Resign him this summer. Make something happen, right? Like you're the Bulls. We'll give you X and Y. Maybe there's another prospect in there. Maybe there's a pick. Um, maybe. If, there, if it's a three-team trade, maybe you're looking at Siakam goes one place, Levine comes in, the cost is split among the three, and who knows what that third team is doing. Who knows what comes from there. But I think I would be pretty surprised if it happened. And I don't think there's like a huge ceiling for the Raptors in doing it. Um, yeah. It's if they can get Levine in there without losing any one of the like Siakam, Scotty, or OG, I, I would be pretty shocked. I would be like, how the hell did they make this happen? But if you can make that happen, then great then, you know, you get like a lot better immediately, I think. I think Levine would be swimming in a lot of opportunities. Like if you just look at tonight's game, right? If you stack Levine on the strong side with Siakam and you give Siakam, like Levine enters the ball to Siakam in the post, that's that's like what? Really great offense, of course, because Siakam is either running like this post up one-on-one where he scores a really high percentage of the time. 
and like his post-ups over the past since they started posting him up a lot are really fantastic like the points per possession are to the moon and if they double from the top you mean to tell me it goes to Zach Levine who can now attack a scramble defense as a driver or can just shoot an open three-point shot piece of cake right um and also then they the team might be more likely to help from the bottom which creates a lot more leverage for Jakob as a cutter a lot more leverage for OG and Scotty as cutters and then the same thing um the same thing works for like Scotty in a lot of these actions like you can run like a ton of this interesting stuff with Scotty on ball and Levine being a small screen or something like that you can run a ton of interesting stuff with Levine in a pick and roll and Scotty as the screener um it's if they could get it without moving any of their big guys I mean then they're like a they're going to be like an impressive team this year if they were able to do that but I don't think that's likely um and as far as like Siakam goes out Levine comes in I don't find that very compelling or interesting and I think you would feel the losses on defense a lot and I think you would actually feel them on offense too not in in some places you might not expect so that kind of stuff is interesting though but I do like Levine and and I think that both Levine and Siakam probably and especially Siakam because of the contract situation, not because of his play, because of the contract situation, has lesser value on the trade market now than he did for however long. Um, I guess uh, that's probably it as far as like the, the conversation for tonight. Um, that's like a good conversation. I'll have a good mic next podcast to the people listening now. I said this at the start, but you know, obviously this doesn't sound like it usually does. It doesn't sound super crisp or good. I hate this. This is the first podcast I've recorded ever with this level of audio. But as you guys heard, some of you, the cable screwing up on the other podcast. Not good. Not good at all. So we're moving on to something else. Have a new mic coming. So everything should be copacetic by Sunday, 4 p.m. Pistons. And I'm Lewis will be at that game. So I'll be live right afterwards around supper time. I suspect a lot of us will be seeing each other and talking again. So um, I'm excited to see you guys and chop it up afterwards. Thank you. It's 1.20 a.m. You guys are great. Thank you for popping in and always being insightful, um, kind, and um, engaging. It is way easier to talk about the game when you guys are, um, you know, sending off your thoughts as well and asking questions. Thank you, fellas, ladies, whoever's tapped in. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Audio only listeners on the podcast apps, whether you got into this the morning after, whatever, when, whenever anyone got into it, um, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>